heard a question this week that really struck me. Um, the title for tonight is going to be The Gospel in Which You Stand. Taken from verse 1, The Gospel in Which You Stand. The question was, let's say it is September 10th, 2001, and you have the opportunity to speak to the people who are in the Twin Towers on 9-11. What is the gospel you preach to them? Many uh, will preach a gospel of health, wealth, and prosperity. It's September 10th, 2001. We all know what happens on September 11th, 2001. What is the gospel you promise these people that God has a good plan for their life and he's going to give them all the dreams of their heart? Or do you tell them to prepare to meet your God? We see a lot these days false gospels. Uh, as, As Paul said in Galatians, not that there is another gospel, but we see this proliferation uh, of false gospel, false promises. And I know, looking at this crowd tonight, there are a lot here uh, who have served the Lord longer than I have. And I know that we have a tendency, or there can be a tendency when we hear the gospel. I've checked that box. I've heard that. I'm done. We can move on now. But it has been uh, heavy on my heart for some time that we never outgrow the gospel. We could spend and will spend eternity exploring the depths of the truth of the gospel and never plumb the depths of it. The task I have before me tonight is to delve into the gospel a bit. Uh, And if we get time, as Pastor finished towards the end, talking about the unity we have as a body in the gospel. Like I said, he preached most of my sermon this morning and did it far better than I will. Um, But I am going to pray before we start, um, and I do very much desire your prayers uh, as we continue. I'm not up to this. So we're going to pray. Father, we are humbled to even open your word. to hear your words spoken, to read them. Lord, we are not worthy. As we dig in tonight, Father, I pray um, that you would guard me from error, that you would bring uh, to mind all the things that you've placed on my heart. Help me not to overlook. Help me to be uh, accurate and true. Help me, Father, present your word in a way that glorifies you, and may we all come away glorifying you tonight. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your piece of paper, uh, your, your music from earlier, hang on to that. The song on the back is what we're going to close with. So don't throw away. It's not for taking notes this time. Uh, now I would remind you, brothers, 1 Corinthians 15. Let's start here, too. If you'd all do this and kind of limber up, um, I have more scriptures and a lot more flipping than I probably ever have. Um, Some of this, I don't know how it's going to go when we get there. So be ready to turn. I'm going to give you, when I get there, three sections that we're going to be flipping back and forth between when we get there. So uh, I hope you're listening. I hope you're keeping up like I am. 
1 Corinthians 15, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Again, we never outgrow the gospel. This is something we need ongoing. He says we are still being saved by the gospel of Christ. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as a first of por- as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So we see here, Paul is reminding the Corinthians of something he's already told them. It's kind of like he's jumping in mid-thought with them. We've had this discussion. We've got this common ground. He's ministered to them for about a year and a half. He's preached among them. They know what he's talking about when he jumps into Christ died for our sins. More and more now, we live in a world that that is a foreign concept. You you can't start, start there with some people. You can't start there because they don't know what Christ means. They don't know anything about scriptures to know what this background is. But thankfully, Paul was in a similar circumstance. He lived in a world where people didn't know the scriptures. He lived in a world where people did not have this common understanding of Christ died for us. Flip over to Acts 17 uh, and also find uh, Isaiah 40. Stick your finger there. We're going to hop over there in about a couple verses in. But in Acts 17, Paul's in Athens and he's at the Areopagus. He's been preaching in Athens and the philosophers, the wise guys, the, the people who sit around and just like new ideas, uh, it's like, come, talk to, come. We've got this group of friends that we like to talk about new ideas. We've never heard this. Can you come share with us? And Preach Paul says, absolutely, I can come share with you. That's, that's, that's my job. That's what I do. And so he comes to the Areopagus, and uh, starting in verse 22, uh, Paul tells him, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. If we start simply with Christ died, who is Christ? Christ is God. He is your creator. He is your judge. Let's hop over to Isaiah 40 now. I'm going to jump down to verse 9. And I'm going to let you sit. If you feel like you need to stand, I don't blame you. What we have here is God tells Isaiah, go tell these people. Go tell the, the who's he tell specifically? Uh, go tell Jerusalem, the cities of Judah, behold your God. And the next, I didn't count, 20 verses is God telling us who he is. So I'm going to read all of this. um, All the way through the end of the chapter. Uh, The very last three words of Isaiah uh, 40 verse 9. Behold your God. Behold the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. 
He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead them that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman crafts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in? Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness? Scarcer are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right hand is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fail exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What an awesome description. There in verse 12, who has measured? God measured the waters of the earth in the palm of his hand. You ever take and you can on uh, Google Earth or whatever, you can zoom in on your location and then you keep zooming out, zooming out, zooming out, zooming out. And that's, that's the palm of God's hand. And uh, it says he uh, marked the heavens with a span. You know what a span is? I didn't either until I looked it up. Uh, it's half a cubit. Yeah, it's about your hand. It's elbow to about halfway up your arm. All of heaven, all of, of, of what we see in the night sky and what we don't see, God said, that looks about right. That's good. That's a horrible way of phrasing that. But uh, God, as Pastor said this morning, God is not capricious. He does nothing just by uh, happenstance. But just the, the span of his hand. It's like That is all that your human mind and human eye with every technology we have, all that you can see, no bigger than my hand. He says that if you were to bring all of the cedars of Lebanon... You know, Lebanon was known for their massive cedar trees. That's what Solomon, uh, some of what was used in the, the building of Solomon's temple, these massive, uh, fantastic cedar trees. 
It's like if you burned all of them that have ever been, not just the ones that are here right now, but you go back to before Lebanon was Lebanon, it was just a place that somebody then moved into throughout time. There's not enough wood there to offer a worthy sacrifice to God. All the beasts of the field that have ever been there are not a worthy sacrifice to offer to God. This God, back to Acts 17, 1726, this God, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or imagination of man. Kind of sounds like that little section of Isaiah 40, that who can you compare me to? The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands. God is not a beggar. It's not a suggestion. It's not a helpful idea. God commands all people everywhere to repent. Commands all people everywhere. And I've said it, and I'll continue saying it as long as I have breath. Even if he didn't save one, We all owe him repentance because he is holy, because he is just, because he is righteous, because we're not, because we fall so far short. We're going to touch more on repentance in a bit. It says, he he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. He will judge the world. back in our hypothetical of September 10th, if you're facing a people who are doomed to die, what do you tell them? There's a day coming. We're all doomed to die. And not just die, but face judgment for not just what we've done, but who we are. Our very nature rebels against God. Uh, Our message the message has been watered down by so many to just give your heart to God. I'm not sure what that exchange rate, how that's supposed to work. Because we just read in Isaiah 40 that he holds everything that we know exists in the span of his hand. But he needs my heart. He's already got it. The heart of the king is in the palm of his hand. I can't give him anything. That's not already his, because he is my creator. He is the one who made me. If I take and and make a little lump of clay, it's still my lump of clay. It doesn't become its own thing. Even if it were to get up and walk around and talk, it's still mine. I made it. Up in 29, being then God's offspring, we're still 
even apart from God, even as sinners, we're still his possession. And so to think that we can offer him anything outside of that which he's already commanded, repentance, it's like uh, when some of my kids were younger, we would tell them, all right, it's time to clean up dishes, go put your dishes in the sink. So, oh, I just want to hug you first. Okay, that's, that's lovely. You're just stalling at this point, though. And thankfully, we, we, at one night we were going through uh, our, our Bible study time and, and came across, um, I've lost the verse in 1 Samuel, but where uh, Samuel tells Saul, he's like, does God want, that God prefers obedience over sacrifice, obedience over sacrifice. And Beth and I looked at each other, it's like, obedience is better than sacrifice. Children, what you're doing is good. Hugs are great. I love hugs. I come home every day, I get, I was going to say, yeah, I do get six hugs. So Henry doesn't count. He doesn't quite hug yet. Um, but I get six, you know, the kids come running from the kitchen. They see me, daddy's home, and they come running. I get big hugs every day. It's fantastic. As much as I love hugs, that's a good thing. But in place of obedience, it becomes disobedience. That's a bad thing. That's a wrong thing. Anything that we take. How many times in the Old Testament do we see God saying, you've done the sacrifices, but your heart's not mine. He doesn't want our good attempts. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't even accept them. We're told that those good things we try are abominable to him. They're filthy, filthy rags, things that make us dirty. Even though it's a good thing that we're trying to do. When it's not obedience, it's a bad thing. He has commanded that we repent because he has fixed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness. If your gospel is purely good news, hey, God's got all this good stuff, you, you know, don't worry about judgment. Without bad news, good news means nothing. You know, I've got a cure for you. Here, take this. It'll make you feel better. Well, I felt just fine five minutes ago. What's, what's the matter? Oh, by the way, here's a problem. If we never get that, that point of here's the bad news, you're a sinner. You're bound for hell. God is going to judge you according to his son. Perfect righteousness. If you don't meet that perfect righteous standard, then you're doomed. You will be condemned. We cannot remove I was going to say eviscerate. And we cannot gut the gospel by taking out the bad news that you're going to face judgment one day. All right. Now it's time to loosen up your wrists and fingers. Turn, please, to John chapter 3. And then Ezekiel chapter 37. And also, sticky notes on Bible are scary. Uh, John chapter 11. So we got John 3, we go back to Ezekiel 37, and then John 11. And what we're going to do is we're going to run through these in that order. Start with John 3, we're going to hop over to Ezekiel 37, John 11. So, um, 
Hopefully, this goes the way I think it will. So in John 3, uh, obviously we know the story of Nicodemus, uh, a Pharisee, coming to Jesus. Uh, He tells him, uh, starting verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Let me pause and, and backtrack for just a moment. The gospel is that you're doomed for hell, but God himself has provided a way for you to be redeemed if you repent and believe in him. We're going to see what that looks like in fulfillment actuality. So, uh, picking up John 3.3, 3, uh, so Nicodemus has just told Jesus that, you know, we know that you have to be from God because nobody can do what you're doing. Um, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? All right, hop over to Ezekiel 37. Uh, verses 1 through 3. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he, the Spirit of God, said to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Now, John eleven twenty five. So, catching us up again in this story, uh, Jesus gets word that uh, Lazarus is sick. They say, hey, please come so that he doesn't die. And Jesus said, we're going to wait. And then Lazarus dies. And they get word, hey, he's really sick. And uh, so Jesus tells the disciples, um, Lazarus has died. Let's go now to, to Bethany. And they get there. Mary and Martha are consoling each other. Um, this is Jesus talking to Martha now in uh, John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Hop over to verse 38. So uh, Jesus has asked them where the body is. Show me where you've lain him. So now they're at uh, Lazarus' tomb. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he had been dead four days. Back over to John chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Again, Jesus to Nicodemus, who is, he's explaining to him that unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit." Back over to Ezekiel 37, picking up in verse 4. God told him, asked, asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, you know, I don't know. Chapter, uh, verse 4, then God said to me, Ezekiel, 
Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and you will cause flesh, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. Back to John eleven, forty one. Picking up in 40 because I skipped it last time. Uh, so Mary's told Jesus uh, or Martha, you know, I don't need to take the stone away. He stinks. He's dead, dead. This is not a good idea. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the, st- took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Back to John chapter 3, and we're going to read 9 through 18 now. Uh, John 3, 9 through 18. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Over to Ezekiel 7-14 through 14 now. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army." Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost, and we are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord, when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. And now back to John 11, the last two verses, 43 and 44, um, and just the very first part of 44. When Jesus said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
the man who had died came out. I know that was an unusual way to go through these, these scriptures, but I couldn't help but see how these overlapped and flowed together as Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. He's like, how is that even possible? And God told Ezekiel, can these bones live? I don't know. You know. Prophesy that they live. Prophesy that these dry bones, these an army's worth of dead bones in a valley that are just on top of the ground. They've been picked by, by birds. They're just this valley of skeletal remains. Can they live? Well, obviously not. But God. And we get this same picture in John 11 where he's been dead for four days. He stinks. The corruption of the flesh has already taken place. There's no resuscitating here. Lazarus coming out is just as impossible, just as hopeless, just as miraculous as the dry bones living, as the dry bones being pulled back together by the Spirit of God and flesh and sinew and muscle being put on them as any that believe on the Lord. It is the same picture of we are dead in our sins. We have nothing to offer. We can't do anything. But he says repent and believe. We who fill the pulpit, preachers, and any child of God who shares the word of the Lord have the same task as Ezekiel, saying, dry bones, live. I don't have the power to do that. I don't have the power to give you that life. I have the, I, just as if Mary or Martha were to come to Lazarus' tomb and say, Lazarus, come out. Wake up, your nap's over. He was dead. Dead, dead, dead. Nothing that could be done. In their power. But we've got, well, they had 39 books. 66 books for us. Where we look back over and over and over again and see God do the impossible. We see Abraham at 100 years old have a son. We see multiple of his his. Sons, how do you, daughters-in-law and granddaughters-in-law as you go down, cannot have children, but it's God who gives life. We see in Elizabeth, when she's well past childbearing years, having a child to show that it is God who gives life. So that when Mary comes along, this is encouragement to her. She's been told the impossible is going to happen. You're going to have a son. You've never known a man. You're not married. You've never had relations with a man. And then she gets to her cousin who's ancient, and she's pregnant. Well, if God can do that, then what he said to me is true. He does these things to show us his faithfulness. We've started going through Hebrews 11 um, on our Wednesday night class, and I I told him in our introduction uh, this past week, we often call that the roll call of faith. I like a lot better. This is the roll call of God's faithfulness to his people. Because we're not looking at what these people did. They're tools. This is what God does on behalf of his people. The gospel tells us that we can't do it. It's not our offerings. It's not our good deeds. He says, repent 
and believe. I, for a long time, took those as two separate things. They're two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. You cannot be a Christian and say, I've repented, but I just haven't believed on God. Or that I'm believing God, I just I didn't have anything to repent of. You're not a Christian in that case. I thought of it like this yesterday and ran it by uh, my cousin to see if it made sense. It's like, it's like breathing. Oh, I breathe. I inhale all the time. I just never exhale. Well, then you're dead. I exhale all the time. I've just, I've just never had to take in a breath. Then you're dead. If you do not repent and believe, the same thing. So what is it we repent of? John three eighteen tells us. He says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever believes in God, in Jesus, in the, only, in the name of the only begotten Son of God, whoever believes is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned. The question is not, did you pray the prayer? Did you put these magical words together and strong-arm God into giving you something? It's not, did you offer God something? And he's like, oh, that's, that's really good. I'm going to take that. It's like, have you seen yourself for what God says you are and believed him? And when he says, I'm the only hope, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, have you believed him? We are naturally unbelievers. And this really hit me recently. A uh, question came up at work about uh, if I believed in original sin. Yeah. You don't see a problem with us putting this? It's like, no, I don't have a... So you think children are born sinners? I have children. Yes, I do believe they're born sinners. <laughs> and it's... You know, when I see them at a young age, full of rage. I, I've got one that, that he, he can be a little rage monster. And uh, there was one night that he got mad at his brother for being in his spot. And he reached for him to claw his leg, and so I grabbed him by the back of his shirt and started pulling him away, which naturally makes him do this. And so he naturally goes, ha! And it's just like neck veins bulging, rage in this little bitty child. Who is he worshiping in that moment? Who is he believing? Who is he believing is worthy of having his will done? Himself. That's not honoring God. My child... Six months, two years, four years, six years, eight years, ten years. That's my kids. They're not naturally worshiping God and giving him. He said, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We don't do that naturally. We must repent of our unbelief and believe on him. And in our belief, we have to believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We have to turn away from our... We repent to believe, and we have to believe in order to repent. So how is it that over time, things get watered down, we get so far off the boat? I loved uh, Jim's example uh, last time he preached about land navigation, that if we start here and we're off by just a little bit of a degree, but I can walk straight to the door, and if I'm off a little bit, I'm still going to get out the door eventually. But I'm trying to get to Kentucky, and I get off enough, I'm going to miss entirely. And 
I love Jesus' response to the Sadducees in Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, uh, some Sadducees came to him and asked him uh, this question about uh, the resurrection. Because the Sadducees are sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. Um, And uh, so they're trying to trick him with this resurrection question. And in the ESV, I love the way he responds to them. He says, you're wrong. He didn't even address their question yet. He just starts with, you're wrong. Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Here's a little secret. It's not really a secret. If you want to know the power of God, know the scriptures. They're full of it. They're full of him telling. You look at uh, 1 Corinthians 10, the first 10 verses or so, is just a retelling of Israel's history of what God has done mightily on behalf of them. It's a lot of their sin. It's a lot of ways they failed God. But it's how God redeemed them through things, out of things. Somewhere along the line, any, you, you give me any heresy you want, any bad idea, any bad philosophy, um, any, even somebody who, who says they're, they're stuck in sin. And, you know, I'm, I'm a believer, but I just got this thing that I can't hold. I just can't go. Somewhere along the line, I stopped believing God. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks and the body acts. We are told in Hebrews 3.13, some of you are very familiar with this, exhort one another daily that none may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness. I, I looked that up finally. What is, what is, what is Webster the hallowed 1828 um, define deceit, um, and it is not believing the truth or believing untruth. So sin naturally wants to distort us and pull us away and cause us not to trust God. And again, with, with my kids, there are things that come up, and I ask them frequently, like, they're scared that maybe even it's just uh, one of them fell the other day and had a cut on their hand uh, and the dirt got up in the skin. So like, I got to get the dirt out. You know, this isn't going to be fun, but it's like, do you trust daddy to take care of you? Cause it was, it was a 15 minute ordeal of tears and crying and uh, like, it wasn't even bleeding. Like this could be a whole lot worse. Do you trust your father? Do you trust what he says? That's even without getting into, as we look at the gospel, what that means, what, what was necessary, that God himself, the creator of the universe, became flesh. I heard a, a, a preacher recently, I heard him reach, recently, he said it a couple years ago, um, talking about that when we, we look at the birth of Christ, and he's born in this lowly stable in this, this animal's feeding trough. He's not born in the feeding trough, he's placed in, in the feeding trough that we consider that a humble display of who God is. But think back to that Isaiah 40, and that God holds it all in the palm of his hand. For God, for Christ who had been born in the highest palace of the highest kingdom with all the servants, we've been a humble display of our God. Because he was bound by human flesh. He was bound by time. He had limitations. When Jesus calmed the, the water. It's a humble display of his power. 
when the Israelites walked across the Red Sea. It's a humble display of God. This is, we can't fathom a full display of God's power. Uh, people often, erroneously, um, like to say that God will never put more on you than, than you, can, you, you can handle. Um, that presupposes that I can handle God's grace. If I think I'm walking in his grace, that means I think I can handle all that he gave. I, I can't handle his goodness. I can't handle his wrath by any means. But even God in his goodness overwhelms me. My, like if he were to give me, ooh, that's a, uh, we are saved to the uttermost. We are fully justified. But if he were to pour out all of those riches that we have in him at once on me, I'm pretty sure my body would explode. I'm not made to hold all that God is. I am going to go a little bit further. Um, When we, as a body, are in tune here with the gospel, we look at each other, and we offend one another sometimes. We step on each other's toes. We don't do things the way somebody else thinks we should. Well, guess what? They're a sinner. What more do you expect? And so we have this understanding that, yeah, they're a sinner. I'm a sinner. But God loved them. So I get to love them too. Don't always have to like you. Maybe I walk away if we're, you know, things are heated. Um, but in... Romans 12, uh, 16, I moved my note, not, uh, 12, 16, and then uh, Romans 15, 5. I love how this is put together, partially because I'm a music guy. But in Romans uh, 12, 16, he says, because of this gospel, because we have been born again, because we're children of God, because he has made a difference in us and made us new creations, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony. If you're not musical, the harmony is not the main thing you hear. If you go walking around and you're just whistling a tune, unless you're my wife, you're not whistling the harmony. You're whistling the melody, the part that you sing, the part that everybody knows. The harmony supplements and comes in under it. Uh, Anybody offended if I walked to the piano? I'm going to walk to the piano. Forgive me, brother. All right, so this is a song you all know. I promise. Lovely, right? Doesn't mean much by itself, but you put them together with the melody... We work in harmony, doing different things. We may do things completely differently. We may do things that, on their own, don't make any sense. But when we're being led by the Spirit of God, when we're living with the common goal of glorifying Him, you can ask any of our Wednesday night kids, what is the Bible about? This is a story of God glorifying Himself by saving sinners. That means me. That means God is working in me to glorify himself. That means everything I do should be about glorifying him. 
And when my goal is to glorify him and not me, then when you're doing something that I don't understand, tenor's complicated. Tenor, you've got to know what you're doing to be able to sing tenor. But if you're singing it and I don't know what you're doing, I can trust that God is working in you. And together, we're going to glorify God. I love uh, Romans 14, the whole, Romans is good stuff. Um, But 14 and 15, we're talking about not passing judgment on one another for things that don't matter. He votes Republican. He votes Democrat. I don't care. If you and I look at something and we disagree, one of us is wrong. Or we're both wrong. If we come at it from the point of, I've got to be right, I'm not glorifying God. When we live in harmony, when we live in unity, these things, Zach and I look different. Don't know if you noticed. We see, well, if I could, I would. Uh, uh, Anyway, uh, you know, meet all these things that they're temporary. In a hundred years, nobody's going to know what my head looked like. Or his hair. Or who you voted for. Or whether or not you had a steak with dinner or just a salad. But if we get caught up on those things that you have to believe like I do, I have made me your God. I'm holding you to my conscience. And we're told not to do that. But we see here in in 14 and 15 uh, that if I believe, if I have every cause to, you know, if we're believers together, walking in harmony, It is before his own master, this is 14.4, Romans 14.4. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Just as I trust that God is working in me, all things work together for good. God is using everything for my betterment to conform me to the image of Christ. I can trust that everything he's doing in you is working to conform you to the image of Christ. Sometimes there is a place for confrontation when somebody's obviously in sin, and even if we disagree, there's place for conversation. We may not ever come to a complete agreement on, on the situation. But if we have a godly conversation about, here's what I see, here's what I see, we can still come in unity because we've got this common foundation of, I'm saved. God has done a miraculous work in me, just like he did in Paul, just like he did in Lazarus, just like he did in the thief on the cross. That miracle has been done in me. So I serve the Lord. Same miracle has been done in you, my brother, my sister. Then we can go forward with a confident uh, assurance of he's working in and through you. And then over in 15.5, so as we're looking at these different things, where we may disagree on things, we may see things differently. If we have that harmony attitude of trusting God to work in you. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Verse 6, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Because of the gospel, because of what God does in us, We from different backgrounds, 
different ideologies, different uh, worldviews sometimes can come together and work together to glorify God because those differences in our past are unimportant now. It doesn't matter anymore because we're saved, because we're, we're brothers and sisters working to glorify God. It doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. It doesn't mean there won't be uh, bumps in the road in our, our Christian walk together with one another. But we're here to walk with one another. And again, Hebrews 3.13, to exhort one another daily. And that just doesn't mean, you know, pat on the back, good job, uh, you can do this. Encourage with the word. This, I am, I am privileged uh, to get to do a number of things from preaching and, and piano playing. But one of my favorite things I get to do every now and then is before somebody preaches, I get it up and I get to read to you what God's word said. Because I, I, I do do my best when I preach, uh, believe it or not, uh, to be free of error, to tell you what God's word says. But when I'm standing here and I'm reading just what God's word said, I know I'm without error. That's my favorite thing to do is get to stand up here and tell you, thus says the word of the Lord. We cannot be faithful, obedient children without knowing what the master said. Let's pray. And then on the back of your sheet, you've got uh, Behold Our God. We will close with that song. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you have revealed your gospel to us, Lord, that you have shown us, Lord, that we are sinners, that we need you, that without you, we have no hope. Lord, we thank you that you uh, didn't just leave us without hope, Lord. You provided a way. You sent your son. You God himself came to earth to take our sin. He who was without sin, he who knew no sin, who who was untouched, bore my sin, was punished for my sin. Father, thank you for the unity that we can have as a body because of that truth, Lord, that each one of us comes to you, Lord, not because of how good we are, not how smart we are, not um, anything that we offer. Lord, we come simply saying, Father, forgive us. Help our unbelief. I pray, Lord, that as we we leave tonight, one, that we glorify you. Lord, may you be exalted in our minds and our hearts. And Lord, help us as we walk daily, day after day, to encourage one another, to point each other to you. Because Lord, whether we've been saved for five minutes or 70 years, Lord, we need you. We need your daily intervention on our behalf. We thank you that you are present help in time of trouble. We thank you, Father, that you are never far from us. We thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.